You're listening to Everyday Emergency, a podcast from Doctors Without Borders. Welcome to Everyday Emergency. I'm Nick Owen from Doctors Without Borders, also known as MSF. The COVID-19 pandemic has killed hundreds of thousands and disrupted people's lives across the world. While the novel coronavirus will likely affect millions of people for years to come, MSF is particularly concerned about healthcare services that aren't related to COVID-19 becoming overshadowed in the race to respond to the pandemic. We are particularly concerned for women and girls who are disproportionately affected by crises. Many of the restrictions and policies adopted by governments around the world to decrease coronavirus transmission are creating barriers to essential healthcare services, including sexual and reproductive healthcare. MSF's experience from previous humanitarian emergencies, such as the 2014 Ebola outbreak in West Africa, shows that when routine healthcare services are disrupted, the consequences can be even more deadly than the outbreak itself. We all know the high death rate which we we had, and most was not because of the the Ebola itself. That's Mariatu Kamara, a nurse supervisor from Sierra Leone who's worked with MSF for 14 years. When Ebola reached Sierra Leone in July 2014, Mariatu was working in MSF's paediatric and maternity hospital in Bo, the country's second largest city. MSF opened the hospital in 2008 to address Sierra Leone's extremely high maternal mortality rate. But in October 2014, completely overwhelmed by the strain of responding to the Ebola outbreak, MSF made the tough decision to close the hospital. During that time, there was a reported 80% reduction in delivery care in Ebola-affected areas in Sierra Leone resulting in an estimated 22% increase in mothers dying during the first year of the outbreak. Women are more acutely affected by humanitarian crises because they get cut off from essential health services that help keep them alive, like safe delivery care. But there's more to it than that. Women are the backbones in most homes. They are the breadwinners. We go out daily to fight for our family. So um, definitely we are vulnerable. And for any outbreak that comes, um, it, it hits the women first. And uh, we suffer a lot. After Bo, Mariatu began working at MSF's Ebola Treatment Centre in Freetown, the capital of Sierra Leone. She saw many women admitted with Ebola. I had one experience of a woman, in fact, who went there, who was admitted there with her two kids. And then um, she ended up losing those kids. It was only the mother that survived. It was uh, heart-rending. Everyone was shedding tears for together with the mother. Yeah, those moments are really not easy. Fear of contracting Ebola spread across the country. Many women in labour stayed away from health centres and many health centres turned away women in labour as the symptoms of a complicated labour are similar to those of Ebola. Those periods, people we are, like, get scared to go to different health centres. 
And you find out during those delays, most pregnant women maybe might, might, might end up dying or end up deliver at home, which might cause other complications as well. It doesn't really worth it for people to be dying just like that. We must not repeat the same mistakes again. Governments and local health authorities around the world mustn't use COVID-19 as an excuse to stop or reduce sexual and reproductive health programs. Instead, they must guarantee provision and access to these essential services, especially safe abortion care and contraception. We need clearly defined policies and guidelines protecting access to vital sexual and reproductive health programs at the core of every international and national COVID-19 outbreak response plan. Until this happens, millions of women and girls will be deprived of essential, life-saving healthcare. Our producer Jess Brown reported from New York to find out how MSF is working to increase access to sexual and reproductive health services during the pandemic and what more needs to be done. Uh, Your Excellency Vice President of Microsoft, distinguished audience, uh, ladies and gentlemen, MSF teams are treating patients all over the world and my words today come from their experiences. On June 9, the international president of MSF, Dr. Christos Christou, delivered a statement at the 2020 United Nations Economic and Social Council Humanitarian Affairs segment. He called on governments to use their influence, power, and policies to provide healthcare for all. He also spoke about many of the ways our patients are being denied access to essential healthcare. So this pandemic has brought suffering, fear, and death to populations everywhere, but its impact is not shared equally. Many of the most vulnerable have already suffered terribly due to a lack of state investment in uh, healthcare for all. MSF is committed to caring for all of these groups, but governments must step up and recognize their own responsibilities. But as world leaders attempt to tackle an unprecedented number of humanitarian crises, the United States has been using its power to prevent women and girls from receiving the essential healthcare they need. The U.S. has been pushing U.N. members to strike all references to sexual and reproductive health from an important resolution before the Council on strengthening emergency humanitarian assistance. A contribution from the U.S. to the draft resolution stands out in red ink. It reads, U.S. cannot support references to sexual and reproductive health in this text. This is not the first time the U.S. has used its tremendous leverage as the largest funder of global health and humanitarian assistance to block international efforts and resolutions containing the words sexual and reproductive health. But the awful reality is that more women and girls could die because of the pandemic's disruption on sexual and reproductive health services than from the coronavirus itself. I've spent the last couple of months talking to my colleagues around the world just to get a sense of how women's access to sexual and reproductive health care has been affected where they work. In places like Colombia, Iraq, Uganda, Pakistan, Mozambique, Afghanistan, they told me about closures and cuts to sexual and reproductive health services, about movement restrictions, including travel bans, lockdowns and curfews, about disruptions to the global supply chain, And they also told me about a general lack of clear public health information and guidance. 
So my name is Khaladim uh, Patlele, and I'm originally from uh, Limpopo, so it's in the northern province of uh, South Africa. And then I've been working with MSF since uh, 2017 November, so it's about three years now I've been working with uh, MSF. And uh, I've been working as the termination of pregnancy and family planning uh, activities manager. So I've been basically doing all the clinical trainings, mentoring, and also giving direct uh, provision of safe abortion care in the various clinic that MSF is involved in. I spoke with Haladi at the end of May. He works with MSF in Rustenburg. Rustenburg is a mining city in the northwest province of South Africa. It's the heart of South Africa's platinum belt. More platinum is mined here than anywhere else in the world. The outskirts of Rustenburg are dotted with informal settlements, rural areas where migrants from neighboring countries settled years ago, seeking employment and a better life. But job opportunities are few and poverty is widespread. People live on top of each other in shelters haphazardly constructed with corrugated steel. Social distancing is near impossible and many people don't even have access to clean water. In response to the COVID-19 pandemic, the South African government imposed its highest level of lockdown, level five, on March 27, meaning that people could only leave the house to go to work or get groceries. But many people in Rustenburg, especially those living in informal settlements, have informal day jobs in barbershops and hair salons, at small shops in the community that sell food and snacks, or on the side of the road selling fruit and vegetables in town, which means there was no work for them to go to. Some people were stuck at home, many without income or money for food or transport if they needed medical care. Halati told me that in the first four days of the lockdown in South Africa, the number of complaints of sexual and gender-based violence lodged through the National Police Hotline tripled. There were 2,300 calls lodged in just four days. Women calling the hotline spoke in whispers, unable to leave the house and afraid to be overheard by their attackers, often members of their own family. If anything, this uh, represents a massive underreporting. From a previous survey conducted by MSF, we knew that almost 95% of women never report to a health facility about the incidents uh, of rape. South Africa has one of the highest rates of violence against women in the world. But due to underreporting, measuring this number accurately in any country is difficult. Since 2015, MSF has run and supported several sexual and reproductive health projects in Bojanala district, where Rustenburg is, in partnership with local health authorities. In addition to community outreach and health education in more than 20 schools in the district, MSF supports four homoto care centers that are dedicated to treating survivors of sexual violence. Homoto means place of comfort in Setswana, one of the official languages of South Africa and the most commonly spoken language in Bojanala district. These care centers provide an essential package of medical, social, and psychological care for survivors of sexual and gender-based violence. The sexual and gender-based violence was a, a widespread emergency even before COVID-19. I think that the, the COVID-19 just brought just brought a light into it that we are basically underestimating the number of sexual and gender-based violence that takes place within the different households. And then in contrast to the rising number of hotline complaints, there was a reduction of the uh, women that were reporting to the facilities. So you could see that there were people calling out for help, but they were not able to leave their houses to get to the clinic. 
And it wasn't just victims of violence who were not seeking care. MSF also supports the sexual and reproductive health units in two of the community health centres in Puking and Buetekong. The health centre in Buetekong also houses a homoto care centre. Women in the community come to these clinics for a range of services, like safe abortion care and family planning. At the centre in Puking, 80% fewer patients came to seek safe abortion care during the lockdown. And in April, women coming to receive family planning dropped from 2,000 to 800. COVID-19, like we all know, it's an international pandemic that hit us all by storm. Nobody was, I think, was actually ever prepared for it. So in the first few weeks of the national lockdown in, in South Africa, so MSF discovered that the CTOP services had been either stopped or deprioritized where nurses were being moved from the units. CTOP stands for Choice of Termination and Pregnancy, a term commonly used in South Africa. It's just another term for safe abortion care. And by deprioritized, Haladi means that nurses were being reassigned from the sexual and reproductive health units to COVID-19 projects. Even in one of the homoto care centres we support, one of the two nurses was reassigned to another department. On top of this, the national guidelines sent by the Department of Health stated that all elective procedures must be stopped. But the guidelines didn't specify what elective means, and many facilities interpreted safe abortion care as elective and non-essential and stop providing these services. So when we realized safe abortion care services were being interrupted during the pandemic, MSF decided to make a very clear statement to the Department of Health, Hospitals and Community Health Centers. Termination of pregnancy is not an elective procedure and safe abortion is also should be seen as an emergency because if it's not done, they'll find a way to have it done and you'll have to deal with the complications in the hospital. MSF teams around the world witness firsthand the death and suffering caused by unwanted pregnancy and unsafe abortion. In 2018, our teams treated over 24,000 women with abortion-related complications, some of which were fatal. So we also made other changes to ensure that women could get access to safe abortion care safely during the lockdown. All facilities are required to screen every patient for COVID-19 symptoms before they can enter. We also screen people to make sure that they are only coming for essential and emergency services. Otherwise, they have to come back when the lockdown is lifted. But the community health centres we support don't just offer sexual and reproductive health services. They offer a whole range of primary health care. So to make sure women seeking safe abortion care were not being turned away during the screening process, we decided to split people into groups before they're screened. Everyone seeking sexual and reproductive health services is prioritized and screened by a health worker instead of a guard. Everyone seeking safe abortion care is seen that same day. We came to a conclusion, those who are seeking uh, safe uh, termination of pregnancy, they would be seen, but if not possible, we'd screen them. At the community health center in Puking, we normally have the capacity to provide 20 abortions per day. But with staffing shortages and the measures we had to put in place to allow social distancing, like reducing weight room capacity from 50 to 15 and increasing space between beds, we can now only provide eight, sometimes 10, abortions every day. If we've reached capacity for the day, we schedule the abortion for a later date and prioritize those who are further along in their pregnancy. But some people still can't get to a clinic. 
At the Community Health Centre in Boitikong, we have a driver service that picks people up, either for scheduled appointments or if they call our hotline. But this doesn't cover everyone, especially those who are now afraid of going to a health centre during the outbreak. We implemented uh, telecounseling where patients could actually, or victims could actually call into the to the centres and then we offered telephonic counselling for them during that time of the lockdown when it was intense. Since April, our social worker and counsellor have provided more than 265 telehealth sessions for victims of violence. Haladi says the team is working on launching another telehealth project in the near future so that we can consult with women who are seeking safe abortion care and prescribe abortion medications over the phone. It's quite safe. Because when you, it's done in the right way, everything is explained to the woman. She's really empowered to know what to do if uh, uh, the bleeding doesn't stop, what to do if uh, in case of emergency, emergency numbers are given to them. And we also make sure that they've got access to emergency healthcare services. But research shows that over 99% of abortions with pills do not have serious complications. I asked Halati to share a story that came to mind of a patient who was affected by the lockdown. Today, actually, where one of the one woman came to the facility, actually requesting the termination of pregnancy, and then it was about it was twenty eight weeks. Halati asked the woman why she had waited so long to seek care. She told him, "On the day when the lockdown started, it was my date booked for for my procedure, and it wasn't done." The day the lockdown was put in place, she was unable to get to the clinic. So she came back to the clinic a week later, but was turned away by the security guard working for the Department of Health. The security guard told her that there were no abortions taking place, and she needed to come back when the lockdown was over. So she came back to the clinic the day I spoke to Halati, the day the lockdown restrictions were reduced to level three. It was her third attempt to get the essential care she needed but we were unable to help her as she was too far along in her pregnancy. So that's one major one that I saw with the, with the lockdown, where a patient that missed the appointment and then came today and to find that it's, it's above what we can do. Halati became an abortion provider 12 years ago. At the time, he was working as a nurse in a clinic in Pumalang, about four hours east of Rustenburg. We had a patient in one of our clinics where, whereby she came into the clinic and then she was bleeding profusely and I did not understand what was happening. And from there, yes, we managed to, uh, to, to make sure that she was stable and then referred her to the hospital. And after referring her to the hospital, when I knocked off in the afternoon, I actually went to the hospital just to go see how she's doing. The patient told him that she had purchased abortion pills from an illegal street vendor. When she got home, the bleeding got worse, so she decided to come to the clinic. The following day, Halati asked his manager at the clinic about the woman. I know termination of pregnancy is legal in South Africa, but why are people still going out to the streets? And then that's where she explained, yes, it is legal, but we don't have enough providers providing the service. In the area where I was working in, there was no termination of pregnancy being offered at all. So, Halati decided to become an abortion provider. He did the training and started up safe abortion services in the clinic where he was working. From there, I never turned back. It, I, I view it as a, health, as, a, as a health service and that I'm helping people in need. And for me, that's always been the thing that's kept me behind. 
why I kept on doing it. Regardless of what people say about it, is the woman's choice on what she wants with her body. That's that's for me. That's always kept me in 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 that field of doing terminations of pregnancy and also becoming a clinical trainer. A few weeks after I spoke with Haladi, I interviewed another colleague across the Atlantic Ocean in Honduras. She lives in the industrial hub of San Pedro Sula, a city in the Cortez department that borders Guatemala and the Caribbean Sea. So my name is Maura Laines. I'm a medical doctor who works for MSF Honduras. Maura grew up in San Pedro Sula and has worked with MSF in the neighboring city of Choloma for two years. Choloma is the third largest city in Honduras and one of the most populated areas of Cortez department. The city attracts people from across the country looking for work in Choloma's many factories, known locally as mequilas. If something you're wearing says made in Honduras, it's probably from Choloma. But low wages and abysmal working conditions mean that many still live in poverty. Violence is also widespread and women and girls are most often at risk. But there is no government protocol for the care of victims of sexual and gender-based violence. With this in mind, in the spring of 2017, MSF began supporting a local Ministry of Health clinic in Las Chincheras neighborhood of Choloma. The clinic's a little pink building surrounded by palm trees. Today, most of the staff are MSF staff, but it's still the only public maternity clinic in Choloma and the only center that offers 24-hour care. Maura is part of MSF's community outreach team. They travel to community health centers and schools around Choloma to provide health education and counseling, and just to let people know about the free services MSF's clinic offers. My position is more in the community. Before the, this epidemic, this health situation, we were actually really linked in the community. Cortez Department is a transportation hub and home to one of Central America's largest ports, which might explain why it was the first area in Honduras to be hit by COVID-19. It now has at least 50% of the country's cases. On March 17, the Honduran government put in place an absolute quarantine. They closed all borders, halted all taxis and public transport, and except for essential workers, people are only allowed out of their houses every two weeks based on the last digit of their government ID. But like in many places where MSF works, Maura says people live day to day, so staying home just isn't an option. It's hard to see a mom or a dad with three babies in their house saying, mom, I'm hungry and they don't have money. So they have to go and expose themselves so they can get money so they can buy food for their babies. It's kind of hard seeing them debating if they go out and bring food or they stay in and, and, and starve. At the beginning of the lockdown, the government ordered all of their hospitals and clinics, except the clinic in Las Chinteras, to stop all non-emergency services. According to the Ministry of Health, contraception services are not emergency care. Many staff have been taken away from smaller community health clinics to work with the COVID-19 response. Others have been forced to stay at home due to their age or other health conditions that might put them at greater risk of death if they contract COVID-19. And between 30 and 40% of community health workers have already become infected with the disease. People working in these centres also have to buy their own personal protective equipment, which has become increasingly expensive. 
So it's not surprising that many of these clinics have had to shut their doors completely. This means that MSF is the only clinic currently providing sexual and reproductive health care in Choloma. It's also the only maternity center in the area. The only other facility women can go to to have their babies is a 35 to 40 minute drive away in San Pedro Sula. But as I said before, during the lockdown, there's no public transport, not even taxis, no ambulance service, and most people don't own cars. And some women are just afraid to go there as those hospitals are also serving as COVID-19 treatment centers, and they're full. Throughout the lockdown, MSF's clinic has stayed open 24 hours a day. But last week, 18 of our staff members were being quarantined at home with COVID-19 symptoms. So we had to reduce some of our services, like prenatal care for women who are not high-risk pregnancies. We've continued most other services though, including contraception care and deliveries. In fact, even though it's almost impossible to travel anywhere, our average births per month have increased from 55 to 75. But MSF was forced to suspend its outreach program, meaning Maura and her team had to find a way to continue their work from home. Right now we're doing what is called telehealth, that we're doing through phones, trying to reach to all these people who are in need of a consult and they don't want to go to a health center or they can't go to a health center or they're so scared to go out to a health center because of the epidemic. MSF started the telehealth program during the lockdown because new protocols from the Ministry of Health allowed doctors like Maura to consult with patients and prescribe medications over the phone. But Maura finds this new way of working challenging. Last time I have a patient that she even cried on the phone because she was like, I missed my appointment at my health center because it's closed and I'm scared I might get pregnant. And I don't want another baby. And I know my husband doesn't want another baby. And he was like really clear about that. And if I get pregnant, he will leave me. So you find these kind of situations around the community and you say, wow, why this is happening? For me, it's outrageous. In my case, it's outrageous. Honduras is one of only six countries in the world where abortion is completely illegal. Not only that, but the law also prohibits the use of emergency contraception. Under no circumstance can a woman in Honduras have an abortion. Even if she's been raped, or the pregnancy means she'll have to drop out of school or lose her job, abortion and emergency contraception is illegal. Even if she can't afford to feed her child, or if she's a child herself. She cannot even have an abortion if the pregnancy will risk her life. Actually, family planning is really important because it's not just a ride. It's a decision you make when, how, and if you want to have a baby or not. So it's frustrating to them not to have access to this. It's, and it's frustrating for us as doctors not being able to help them when they call you crying or they call you all scared. Oh, I'm afraid I miss my my appointment and I'm going to get pregnant and I'm going to lose everything. It's really hard. I asked Maura how the word gets out about the telehealth hotlines. We also have one for psychosocial support, mostly for victims of sexual violence. Our social worker knows a lot of people, <laughs> like a lot. <laughs> so she started like saying, giving out the number and tell them to call 
and afterward it's like you spread like it's like gossip we also give the information to nurses and doctors in the community health centers that have stayed open put bulletins in grocery stores in the areas that our health promoters live we keep our whatsapp stories updated with the details and we've streamed online discussions on facebook and other platforms but the needs are greater than the care MSF can provide. Amara said she feels that women's access to care during the pandemic, especially family planning, is just being neglected. It's going backwards, actually. It's taking every power that women have over their body, at least this power of choosing if they want a, ba- want a baby or not, even is with a method of plan- uh, family planning, are walking, walking backwards, taking out the all, all we have fight for. I asked Maura what she wished the government would change and what she hoped women's access to sexual and reproductive health care would look like in the future. I wish we have a, like, a clinic, especially for us women in here, where we can go, no strings attached, no, no judgment, no anything where our rights can be respected. I wish we can have the, all the access we need for family planning. I wish we can be respected for choosing what is our right, for choosing if we want or not have a baby and not be judged by the community because of it, not be judged by a, by a man who is a misogynist telling us what to do or what not to. And they're voting for us to tell us what to do or not to. And that's not fair at all. I wish we, we could have a full access to medicine, like for girls and women around the country, around our, our area, where we can be treated with respect, where we can be treated with patience, and we can be treated with love and we can receive all the services we need. Sadly, we know the actual impact of the pandemic will likely never be measured because women and girls with no access to care often suffer at home or hidden within communities, and many deaths remain uncounted. So what can be done? We need to push ourselves to adapt and innovate so we can bring care closer to the people who need it most by shifting our focus towards community-based activities, remote supportive services, and self-care models. MSF has a chance to reinvent how we provide services to and engage with communities. In settings with mobile and internet services, we need to create and expand the use of hotlines, telehealth services, and SMS systems to disseminate information, respond to questions, and provide remote medical and psychological support for sexual and reproductive health care. Global health actors must act now, or women and girls will continue to die of preventable causes or suffer lifelong injuries simply because they cannot get access to essential care. We must ensure that women and girls have access to life-saving health care, including sexual and reproductive health care, in the midst of this pandemic and always. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Everyday Emergency. For regular updates on MSF's work, visit msf.org. As always, it's your likes, comments and shares that help spread the word about this podcast and the work of MSF. If you can, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. Thank you. For more true stories from the front line of medical emergencies, subscribe via your podcast provider or visit msf.org.uk slash podcast.